In the last couple of weeks of this series, we've been in this series we're calling First. We're, this is technically week three. And so we've been talking about really ordering our life versus trying to find balance. Because, you know, I can remember a number of years ago, I was trying to balance everything. And I felt like the guy spinning all these plates, you know, got all these plates spinning. And, and as soon as I get everything spinning, one of them would get wobbly. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to fix that one. I got to fix that. And I was trying to live this balanced life that I've come to realize is just impossible. It's not possible to live balanced. What it is possible, though, is to order my life by priority and say, these are the things that matter most. So if that plate drops, I'm okay with it. I'm choosing what's going to lose as opposed to saying, oh, shoot, I really wish I wouldn't have lost at that. I wish I would have paid more attention to my marriage. I wish I would have paid more attention to my kids. I wish I would have paid more attention to my body was telling me things weren't right. I wish I would have prioritized some things more importantly, because what happens when you have priority, you get this beautiful gift called no. Can you? No, I can't. Why? Because it goes against my priorities. I've already established the principles in which I'm going to live by. So I'm ordering my world instead of my world ordering me, right? And that's important. I mean, that's an important thing to do. And so we started off week one, Pastor John was here and and shared about die first. Isn't that a great title? Don't that just encourage? Aren't you just blessed all of a sudden? die first. But he shared this thought is that if we want some things to come alive in our life, sometimes some other things need to die first. And so, and that is so such a powerful truth for us is that, man, sometimes we're believing God for some amazing things to happen. And he's saying, yeah, but you need to create some space for me to to do that new thing in. And so that's part of why we're doing this and doing this time of prayer and fasting. Last week, I shared with you about pray first. This, that prayer should, what, be our first response, not our last resort, right? Like, that should be our default. Like, man, when things come up, it's like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's, not mine. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God. And I shared with you the other, another thought that I wanted to just share with you again is that prayer requires more of the heart than it does of the tongue. Prayer always requires more of our heart. It's not about the volume of words in which you use. It's not about the poetic beauty of the words that you use. It has to do more with, is your heart connected to the words you're using? And the best way to have your heart connected to the words you're using is to talk like you talk. Just direct it to God and pray and ask God to move. And so one of the verses that we've used to kind of uh, focus this and kind of build the series, if you will, comes out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And it gives us an instruction. Jesus tells us, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else, just a little side note, Jesus didn't say, hey, come and walk with me. He said, come and follow me, which means he's in the first seat and we're behind him. So that's important little, sometimes we think that, oh, we're going to go walk with the Lord. Yeah, but he's leading. We're to follow him. Why? Because he knows the way we don't. He says, uh, seek the, the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. And so it's important that we put kingdom priorities Above all else, what are the, what is the kingdom and what are the kingdom priorities? I gave you last week two of them. Number one is that you would know God more and more and more progressively, intimately. You'd know more about him today than you did six months ago. You'd know more about him than you did five years ago. And if that's not the case, I'm telling you, there is more of God that you can find out, that you can learn about, that you can come to a place of understanding. It doesn't matter. You can study, study, study all you want. You'll never find the end. But the second kingdom agenda is to help other people come to know him in the same way. But it's like when you're on an aircraft and they're like, hey, if they, you know, they do the little, hey, you know, here, here, here's the exit rows. You got the, the stewardess, P-51, 
people and they're doing all that. And they're like, if in case of an emergency, the thing drops down, put your mask on first so you can help somebody else. Why? Because you can't help nobody if you're passed out. So put your mask on first. So we got to make sure what? Before we start telling other people about Jesus, that we love Jesus, that we are in love with Jesus, right? Put your mask on first. That's the first kingdom agenda. The second one is, hey, let's go and tell some other people about Jesus. And so uh, we've, we've shared with you is that whatever is first, and this is important, affects or influences all the rest. So if God is first, what? He will influence everything else down the list. And that's important for us. And so... You know, and I believe that it is very important. I shared this with you uh, even during the offering about is that we need to live from a place of principles, not pressure. That's that's an important thing. Why? Because pressure will come. Life just happens. Things happen. But if we'll, instead of just living by daily pressures, kind of being like, well, let's just see what today has. You're in for a bumpy ride. Maybe some long roads that didn't need to be that long. But no, I'd rather... Live by principles, godly principles. And so this week I want to share with you this. is about keeping truth first. Because this is important and this is a big one. Because there's a lot in our culture right now that we hear this word. And we hear it thrown around with a lot of pretty casual things. And that there really is no bearing to what truth actually is. But I want to share some things with you about this and about keeping truth first in our life. Why? Because the order and the priority of things matter. So if we're going to keep God first, guess what we also have to keep first is truth. And so, but who gets to define what truth is? Because there's a lot of definitions out there right now. And so I want to give you a few of them. I hear lots of statements claiming things like this. And so here's a pretty popular one right now is that you just got to live by your truth. You, you heard that? Anybody heard that phrase that say, well, okay, so you're the determiner of what truth is. I don't trust myself that much, quite honestly. I mean, cause I have tried to live by my own truth and it was a mess. So why do I need to go back to that? Like it didn't work. Not even, not fully quite sure if, if I even know what that really means. Because what it really means is I'm just going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And you just don't need to say nothing to me about it. That's what it really, in my opinion, that's what it really means. Another one is this, is that nobody can judge me but God. Is that true? Well, it is true because you're going you're gonna to stand before the Lord. But most of the time when people say things like that, what are they saying is, you can't judge me. They're just saying, but God, to kind of give some weight to the statement. But I just think it's funny when those same people turn around and want to judge other people, like almost after finishing their statement. (laughs) See, because most of the time when people make that statement, they really don't want to know what God has to say. I would actually say almost all the time. For those of you of my generation, the person who made this phrase popular was Tupac. Nobody can judge me but God. Some of you have no idea who Tupac is, and that's okay. I'm a product of the 90s. No, what they're really saying is I'm in charge of my life. That's really what they're saying. Here's another one. It's it's kind of a slight variation, which is... Don't judge me. God knows my heart. I saw, so a friend of mine sent me a t-shirt the other day and I thought, man, I need that t-shirt. Is it, and it said, my heart is good, but man, this mouth. 
Whew. I thought, man, I need, I need that shirt. My heart's good, but man, I say some stuff sometimes and I'm just like, whoops, <laughs> where'd that come from? But the truth is, is that yes, God does know our heart, but that's why he gave us his word. Because he knows our heart even better than we actually do. And so he gave us his word for what reason? To transform us into the image of Christ. So that we could be changed, transformed into a new being. And so here's another one that's kind of similar. These kind of stack. But, and, we've, and, and truthfully, I've told this to a lot of people. And I've just kind of made it my goal that I'm going to remove this from my vocabulary because now that I actually have prepared like to speak about it, I'm like, well, dang, that's really bad advice. And uh, so, but this is one that many of us have probably even told ourselves and told many other people. They come to you for advice and you're like, well, you just need to follow your heart. You just got to, what does your heart say? How many of you have told somebody that? Don't lie. You in church. Don't be lying. No, just follow your heart. Well, that kind of goes back to, well, I'm just going to live by my truth, doesn't it? Because I may not see the whole situation. I may not see everything. See, here's the problem is that it's really bad advice. Why? Because your heart will lie to you. It absolutely will. Why? Because your heart can get distorted. It can view reality, but skew it in a way that's actually not true. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Have you ever had an experience with somebody else? And when they're recounting the, what happened, you're like, I didn't get that. Like that person was so rude to me. And it's like, no, you were actually rude to them. They really weren't. But in their view, what? Somebody had offended them. And it's like, that's not the, re- that wasn't actually what happened. You know, I mean, I know that's how you, you, you remember it. Or maybe even it's like when, especially if you have siblings, family, they talk about growing up and you're like, I, I don't know what house you grew up in, but that ain't the one I grew up in. But that, why? Because their truth and your truth are actually different. Because they believe what they're saying. It's not that it's just completely false. It's just what they believe. Even though you may have something totally different, you may see it completely different. So this is what Jesus says about our heart. And this is why, because all of these statements really come back to trusting ourselves. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse 15, Peter asked Jesus and it says, explain to us the parable that says that people aren't defiled by what they eat. Because they were all about what you do. Back then it was all about the outward things. And yet Jesus was changing the paradigm. He was shifting everything. He said, hey, it's not about the external. It's actually about the internal and Jesus made a statement. They're all like, we, their whole life. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, don't eat seafood. Don't eat anything with a, with a, a hoofed. Uh, what am I thinking of here? Split hoof. There we go. Don't eat a pig. Okay. Don't eat things. Don't, don't eat lobsters. Don't eat crawfish. I know. Thank the Lord for Jesus, right? I mean, you know, I mean, just praise you. He set me free from a life without crawfish. And uh, praise the Lord. But Jesus responds to them and says, Don't you understand yet? Anything that you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. That's so eloquently worded, isn't it? It says, But the words that you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. 
Words come from your heart. You're like, how do I know it's in my heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will gab. It'll flap and start saying crazy stuff. And you're like, that ain't me. Yeah, it is, baby. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. The words that you speak come from your heart, and that's what actually will defile you. Words from your heart will defile you. They will pollute you. That's why the Bible says, put a guard about my mouth. I have a friend, he says this way, put a gate on the bucket of my mouth. Well, you know, some, some people need doors. Some people need little hatches and some people need gates, you know. <laughs> you can insert yourself wherever you feel like you belong. But it goes on, it says, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slandered. And these are what defile you. So even Jesus is saying, if you just follow your heart, you're going to get off. You're not going to be living in truth. Why does truth matter? Because truth sets us free. That's why truth matters. So we need to know. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, that the human heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. No one can figure out. The message translation says it this way. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So when we're talking about truth, let me just tell you, we can't trust us. It doesn't mean I need to be paranoid about myself or to think less of myself. That's why I have been redeemed. God has an answer for me. He has a way for me to what? Come to a place of actual truth. So the question is, is, so what is true? And who gets to determine what true is? It's a great question. And there's a lot of people who have tried to answer it. And a lot of people who are wrestling with that question. Like, is living for God true? Is it right? Is it real? What is truth? What does it really mean? What does it look like? Here's a very simplistic definition, but truth is true. Truth is real. It's not subjective. It's actually is what is true, what's right. See, I don't get to define truth, nor does anyone else. Now, people can debate it. They can argue it. They can philosophize it. They can do all they want to it. But truth is still truth. It just, it is. And it doesn't matter how much we talk about something. Truth doesn't actually change. Like, well, truth's relative. Relative to what? To your heart? But you can't trust your heart, so it can't be relative to that. To your experiences? Well, we already talked about that. Your experience and somebody else's experience of the exact same thing may be totally different. So is it really relative to that experience? Because it sounds like there could be two truths. Like my sister's here today. We grew up in the same house. I have an experience. She has an experience. Typically, me and her agree most of the time, at least on how we were raised. Isn't that right? She's like, sure, whatever. I told her that I was going to wear jeans today, by the way. And uh, she walked in and she was, I was like, I'm sorry, I told you I was wearing jeans today. And she's like, you lied. It, it's nothing new. I was like, <laughs> like, thanks a lot, Jennifer. And... Uh, but, but if, if I live off of my experience and her experience, very much the same. We're only 17 months apart. 
But if I live based off of my experiences, my truth, and she lives off of her experiences, her truth, who's right? Oh, you're both right. You can't. Because truth is fixed. It's not arbitrary. Now, people can argue this all day long, and trust me, they do. You get on YouTube, man, there is unbelievable amounts of of material, and you can search it, and all these things. The Internet's full with what is truth. But who gets to define it, really, at the end of the day? So here's the thing, is that truth actually doesn't change. It's just our perspective or perceptions of truth that can change. Have you ever come to a wrong conclusion about a situation? Like me, I can, I can lawyer up. You know what I'm saying? Like I've gathered all my intel. I got my case. I got my notebooks. Like, let's go. Like, let's debate this. I'm ready. You guilty? Let me tell you why. And all that ammo is good until I get some new information. I'm like, oh, that would have been good had I known that before I got my argument together. Because that one statement just blew up my argument. Like, poof. Gone. I'm like, I got nothing else to say. I'm just going to go home now. You know, I mean. Or have you ever been in a situation where you just came to the place where you just concluded completely wrongly? Just. You didn't get no new information. You're just like, I'm just wrong. Not the greatest feeling in the world, is it? I mean, let me give you another example of this. Have you ever like sent an email or like a text or maybe said something? Like even as you're typing it out or maybe even as the words are coming out of your mouth, you're like, ah, unsend, unsend. Steve Jobs, why didn't you create the unsend button? Like, come on. It's the easiest thing in the world. I've actually deleted text thinking, I'm just going to see if it's going to delete on the other end or not. It doesn't work. You know, I mean, I remember like, Anybody else ever done that? And then they respond. You're like, well, I guess you saw it. <laughs> Whoops. I remember way back in the day, like when the internet was still fairly new, you get on AOL, you could send an email and they had an unsend button. It was awesome. Why we don't have that today? Cause we have more technology. We need that button. Untext, unsay, unsend would be awesome. It'd be great. Unfortunately, you know, it's like, what is that? I don't remember who it is. They have the easy button. I need an unsend button. Like just retract everything. Every email, everything I just said, every, every text I may have sent in the last hour, just undo. Boop, it's gone. Yes. It'd be awesome. Fortunately, it doesn't exist. Let me give you an example. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey for a moment here. And I want to actually show you a truth that you're actually not even aware of right now. So I want to, I want to, to assist, I want to prove to you a truth even though you know it with your head, and when I start talking about it, you'll know it, you actually don't perceive it. It's very interesting. So the earliest astronomers proposed that we would live in a geocentric universe. Like, what does that mean? That means there's something at the center and everything revolves around it. Which means that the earth is the center of everything. Because what? The thought of the day was this, is that the earth was the center and everything revolved around it. It's kind of interesting because I think most of us probably live our lives that way too. Is that we are the center of the universe and everything revolves around us. That's another sermon, but I'm going to set that on the shelf and leave it there. 
So 500 years ago, if we were alive 500 years ago, this isn't that long ago. Just take 500 years though. We would have said that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. We still say it to this day. How do you know what time of day it is? Look for the sun. Right? And we would have said that as an absolute fact. Like it's factually true. No, 100%. Why? Because the majority of everybody would say the sun comes up in the east. It goes down in the west. It happens every day. It never changes. It's like clockwork. It happens. But what if I came onto the stage, if you will, 500 years ago and said, hey, the sun doesn't actually rise in the east or set in the west. As a matter of fact, the universe doesn't actually revolve around us at all. The sun actually doesn't move. We move. And everybody would say, you liar. That's not true. The, the sun, I see it. My under, I can, I can visit, like, you can't tell me that something is different than what I see. But what's the difference? The perspective is different. Well, now with time, what has happened? We've been able to send satellites into orbit. We're able to take pictures and all these things. And we can see that, hey, there's a truth that we actually didn't know about 500 years ago. See, the sun is fixed and the earth is turning every 24 hours. We make a full rotation, depending on the time of year, determines, you know, because if we're the center of the universe, why do we have daylight savings time? Why does the sun, why do we have longer days during these times of the year and shorter times during the winter and all? Why do we have the seasons? It has to do with our position relative to the sun, not the sun's position relative to us. Why? Because we're moving. He's not. It's not. However you want to say it. Not only are we spinning every 24 hours, but we're also in a rotation that takes 365 days to move as well. So help me out with this statement real quick. You're going to know the answer. This is an easy one. This is, like a, this is easier than fill in the blank. It's easier than multiple choice. But I want some crowd participation. So I want you to finish my statement. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You want to know one of the thoughts that Columbus had to challenge in his day was they thought you're going to go to the edge of the earth and you're going to fall off. That's what they thought. He was a lunatic probably by many people's standards because they were like, do you have a death wish? Do you hate yourself? You're going to go to the end of the earth and you're just going to go, Boop. that's going to be the end of you. He challenged a truth that was known and he found something that we call home today. Why? Because he challenged what was perceived as truth. And he found a new truth. What was actually always true. It's not really that it was new. It was always here. The world was always around. It didn't just, God didn't just all of a sudden in heaven go, oh my goodness, this guy's going to get on a boat. He's going to fall off. There's going to be death. It's going to be bad. Let me just reshape the earth. <laughs> Sprinkle in some plant, some, some continents over here. Okay, you can find that. No, it was always there. See, the truth was the truth. Didn't matter what everybody thought. Didn't matter what everybody else said. See, we, we get to enjoy what they found. See, so, so truth is fixed. So let me give you some facts here. I'm, I'm, I'm a fact guy. I like facts. But now you're like, well, where'd you get your facts? NASA. Okay. They're the experts. Any of y'all ever been in space? Me neither. 
they've been there, they tell me about it, okay? So I'm going to listen to them because I'm not that smart. <laughs> Maybe you are. I'm not. So let me give you some, some details. And some of you are going to love this. And some of you are going to be like, oh, my gosh. I, don't, I feel like I'm back in school. But I'm going to give you some details. I am going somewhere with this. So the circumference of the earth, which is the distance around the largest part, we call it the equator. I've almost been to the equator, four degrees away, almost, really close, is roughly 24,898 miles. So if you started at the equator and went all the way around, you will have traveled just under 25,000 miles. Rack up your sky miles, you know. So if you estimate that a day is 24 hours long, you divide the circumference by the length of the day, this produces the speed at the equator of 1,000 miles. 37 miles an hour right now. Now I got online, I did a little research. I'm like, what latitude are we on? We're right around 30 degrees. So I did a little bit of math. Now, well, let me ask you this. It's kind of a funny question, but do you realize you're on the world's fastest roller coaster right now? You're like, I hate roller coasters. You're on the world's fastest right now. You got a front row seat. If you want to get a real front row seat, go to the equator. It's faster there. It's like being in the front seat of the roller coaster. You know, you're hanging over the edge. You're like, oh, my gosh. If you're one of those adrenaline junkies like me, you want to be in that front car, go to the equator. It's faster. The problem is you just can't perceive it. But here, from the seat that you're sitting in right now, you're traveling approximately 834 miles an hour. Because the further north and south you go, the slower you spin. How many of you feel like you're spinning right now? You're like, I didn't five minutes ago. (laughs) But the truth is, you're traveling faster than a jetliner right now. Like you'd have to get to like fighter jets to fly this fast. And in the seat that you're, you ain't even got a seat belt on. You're reckless. Like this is crazy. (laughs) You adrenaline junkies. I knew y'all were more like me than I thought. I knew it. But do you perceive it? No. Why? Because from where you're sitting, you don't sense it. You don't perceive that you're moving that fast. Now, just as a side note, the earth rotates every day, but the speed at which the earth is traveling in orbit, 67,000 miles an hour. So not only are we traveling approximately 834 miles an hour this way, (laughs) really fast, like, whoa, we're doing this at 67,000 miles. If you weren't dizzy before, you might be now. (laughs) That just makes me dizzy thinking about it. Please talk about it. Let's just move on. Get to the point, please. But the truth is that the earth is spinning really in two ways. But yet our perception of it says, I don't feel anything. See, truth will supersede knowledge and understanding. Truth supersedes knowledge and understanding. It's the fact. So again, ask the question, what is truth? You know, somebody asked Jesus this very question, and it comes out of John chapter 18, verse 36. And this is Pontius Pilate right before Jesus gets executed. And so we're kind of picking up mid-story, but... There's a dialogue that's been going on. And then Pilate asks a question and says to Jesus, he says, so you're a king. And Jesus says, yeah, or you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. 
All who love the truth recognize what I say is truth. And Pilate responds and says, well, what is truth? Now, Jesus, not in this particular passage, but he answered it in another place. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, that shoots a lot of people's truth right in the foot because they say, well, there's many roads to God. It's funny because the one who rose from the dead said otherwise. So anybody else rose from the dead, we can, we can have a, a conversation. But to my knowledge, he's the only one that got out of the grave. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. So I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you today along this line. It's how have your experience and maybe even your own reasonings or your own conclusions shaped your perception of what truth really is? Because what you believe could actually not be true, even though to you it is true. And I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. But your experiences will lie to you. Your heart can lie to you. Your own thoughts can what skew what you view as true, as what's real. So let me just press in a little further with that, with another question. What truths do you believe? What truths do you believe today that are contrary to the truth of God's word? Because see, to you it is true, and I'm not arguing that. It may be true to you. The problem is it says something different than God's word says to you. That's an important question that I think we should ask ourselves. What truth do I believe that do not match what God's word says? John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the word made flesh. That what he came and dwelt among us. Well, he is the word of God. He is the truth, which makes the word of God the truth. Even though many times my experience in life may speak differently it's just like we were singing earlier. Look, there's a battle, but it's the Lord's. Yeah, but my truth right now is saying, man, I'm going down. Yeah, but the Lord has not spoken yet. His truth has not come yet. Does, things are always subject, subject to change. Why? Because we serve a God of the impossible. We, we serve a God that does amazing things in our life. That's the truth. Doesn't mean we don't have questions. So I don't want to, to oversimplify this either. There are questions that I've had for decades that I want to ask God when I get to heaven. But I don't have an answer. But I have chosen to orient my life and order my life around what? God's word. Because I believe that it's true. I've seen it to be true. Even when I was wrong, it was right. I've seen that happen. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. This is out of the Passion Translation, but it says, For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. This is the important part. It says the word of God, it will interpret and reveal the true thoughts and the secret motives of our heart. Remember, we started talking about our heart in the beginning. The word of God will what? It will reveal to you why you do what you do. Because sometimes it's not the actions that are wrong. Sometimes it's the motive behind our actions that are actually off. 
And it's like, man, if we could change the motive, the action would actually, God could say, hey, you change the motive, I can actually bless that now. I wanted to bless it all along, but the motive was wrong. Therefore, I couldn't bring that promotion into your life. Therefore, I couldn't bring that breakthrough into your life. Why? Because the motive of that prayer was wrong. You wanted God to break through for you for a wrong purpose or wrong reason. So the word of God will what? It will self-correct you. It's amazing how it works. The Holy Spirit will what? Cooperate with the word of God, the influence of the Holy Spirit with God's word. And it will show us why we do and why we react the way that we do. David wrote in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. He says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So why did David ask God to point it out? Because he knew God's truth would what? Produce life. The truth of God's word would produce life in him. And so he said, God, come and open me up like a master surgeon and show me my own heart. Why? Because when I see my heart and I make the adjustments that are necessary, it's going to lead me into the life that God wants for me, the life that God wants for you. But guess what? I need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the help of the Holy Spirit through God's word. That's why the Bible talks about, gives us the instructions. Actually, it's to husband. It says, wash your wives with what? The water of the word. What does that mean? It means you need to speak God's word over your family. Why? Because you're making that deposit. You're speaking. You're creating that space for God to come in and work. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 from the Amplified says, Do not be conformed. Now, I've highlighted a couple words here, and I want you to pay attention to those. It says, do not be conformed to this world. One, when you study that word, it actually means don't be pressed into the mold. Pressure. Don't be pressed into the mold that the world wants to put you in. But be transformed. That means to become something completely new and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove for yourselves what is the will of God and what is the good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. The Passion Translation of Romans 12, 2 says this. Stop in, um, imitating the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you and be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern. So what, when our mind begins to shift from what? From ourself onto God's word, what begins to happen is that it will empower us to discern or to recognize God's will. Like, I don't know God's will for my life. If you'll learn God's word, you'll understand God's purpose for you. I'm, I'm telling you, you're like, I, I just don't know if I believe that. I've been around for a little while. And I, I've been amazed how God's word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit produces change in me more than sermons that I've heard. Not that sermons don't inspire me, not that they don't, but man, there's something about when the Holy Spirit just highlights and, and he's like, what does that mean? It means like I'm just doing something and all of a sudden a scripture just rises up. Like I got this attitude and I'm mad about something, frustrated about something, and the Holy Spirit just, I'm like, dang it. All right, I'm, I'm overreacting to this. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for saving me because I was about to send an email. <laughs> You know, I'm about to send a, a text in all caps, you know, I mean business, you know, ain't no emojis on this one. And, uh, you know, hope, you know, I am not happy. Exclamation, 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 dot, 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 you know. Welcome to my brain. And, uh, 
No, when we know God's word, it will empower us to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. How many of you realize that that's God's desire for you? Doesn't mean perfect, but man, there can be some beautiful things in our lives. It says that it's satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture, we mean all scripture, it means all scripture, even the ones I don't like, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. All scripture is to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Why? Because we can't trust our heart. This is why we need truth first. This is why we need to be aware of it. It goes on, it says that God uses it, being the word, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, I want to share a quick little video clip with you. Something that I saw this week and I thought, man, this is perfect for my message. So I'm going to share it with you. And uh, so let me give you a little bit of background real quick on who it is on the video. There's John Bevere, which he doesn't really talk much. He just kind of nods his head and says a little, adds a little thing. But there's another guy talking here. His name's Scott Lindsay. He's from uh, what's called the Logos Bible Software. So these people study the Bible. They've done it for years and years and years. This guy helps lead the ministry. And, uh, and so I want him to share with you just, it's two short minutes, but I want him to share with you some thoughts about the power and the impact that God's word can have on you. We can go ahead. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible. We hear the message one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th- I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? I was just figured it was going to be easier to let him say it than me. So there you go. And, uh, but it is very important. But I, I think it also tells us why it's so important. 
That's why it's so important to be in God's word. And so even as I'm wrapping up this morning, I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you and we'll, we'll be done. But, but just some of the things that he talked about there, some of those statistics. And he's like, well, I don't believe statistics. Okay. Tell you what, why don't you do your own study? Why don't you start reading the Bible four days a week? And in three months, let's talk. Like do a month, read it for one day a week. Take another month, read it two days a week. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not even joking about that. I will, tell, I will buy your lunch. Do it three days a week. See if it makes a difference. Do it four days a week and tell me if it doesn't make a difference. Because here's what I know. Any exposure to God's word is good. The more I can have, it's better. Like, well, how do you know day three and four? Look, I can't speak to the study. I didn't do it. But this is what I know. The more that I can get God's word in my heart, not just words on a page, but like where it comes up in the Holy. Why? Because it's ammo for the Holy Spirit to use to help me, not against me. It's so it's like I talked about, man, I, I was in this moment. And all of a sudden, this scripture just rose up out of nowhere. Why? Because you put it to memory. And the Holy Spirit says, thank you. I can use that right now. Let me remind you. It's funny, the Bible actually says one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring all things back to our remembrance. There are times, many, many times, the Holy Spirit will do that to me and raise, rise a scripture up in my heart. And I'm like, I'm not even sure where that scripture is. Google. I'm going to type in what I know. Search. Boop, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> now I know where it is. It is a scripture. I thought so. You know, one of those kind of things. But it's important that we not just hear the preaching of God's word, but it's also that we be extremely intentional about putting God's word into our heart. See, here's what I found is that if I will put God's word into my heart when I don't need it, it's there when I do need it. And I don't have time to go ask Google. And I don't have time to call and ask somebody else or say, hey, can you give me a scripture on this? Or you text somebody and you wait all day and it's like later that night and you're like, well, thanks kind of needed it right then what if you already had it in your heart what if you put god's word why because god's word is truth god's word brings freedom i said earlier the kingdom agenda is this is that what everybody knows god part of our vision is this is that what everybody will find freedom freedom comes in truth and sometimes that means seeing yourself accurately not from the point of view that you see you that's why we need the word of God. The Bible says it's like a mirror that will come up before us and we can see who we were created to be. And it's not a discouraging like, oh, I'm terrible, I'm horrible. No, the Holy Spirit is one of the most kind, one of the most gentle, one of the most loving people on the planet. And here's what I found when the Holy Spirit highlights something, there's this desire, this longing that says, I want to be that person. It's amazing, this desire. Like, I don't have to manufacture it. It's like, that's who I'm supposed, not just that, that's who I want to be. That's who I'm supposed to be. That's who I can be. And it's attainable. It's not impossible. It's, it's an amazing thing. So I want to encourage you, even as we're continuing along this 21 days, if you don't have a devotional, grab a devotional. You can read it in about two or three minutes. It's got some quick thoughts, a quick prayer. Like, I don't know what to pray. We got you, we got you covered. It's in the devotional. 